Uh, our sermon today is going to be on the last two marks. And this, I've, I've really gone in a different direction than I was planning on with this. But uh, we're going to look at the mark of generosity and, and also the mark of Christ on the church. So the mark of generosity on the church and the mark of Christ on the church. And I believe these two things are so connected that it is helpful to even do these together. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at Matthew 6 verses 19 through 34. Matthew six nineteen through 34. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you that you choose to share your heart, your vision, your desires with your church. And then you choose by your grace to allow us to enter in, one, to your kingdom, but also in to your initiatives and plans, allow us to participate in your work as Neil was leading us today, as he was showing us you choose to carry out things through our hands, through our decisions, through our prayers. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we look at this idea of generosity as being marked by the very person of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would Use your word by your spirit to grow us and to shepherd us, to reveal things to us, and of course, to show us your heart. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here's where we're going. That when our treasure is Christ, we will have new eyesight. When our treasure is Christ, we will have new eyesight. Now this whole section is really, from 19 through 34, is really about money and possessions and what that really means. And an interesting thought for me as I read through this and tried to place myself in this time period, it came to my mind that when Jesus said these words, they did not have cars, they did not have electronics, they did not have, as far as we know, name brand clothing, If people owned their own home, more likely it was a one or two room house, not bedroom, but actually one or two room house. And I mention that to say not that there weren't luxuries or nice things that money could buy, but to mention that money and what money could gain a person was just as much of an issue then as it is today, even without all of those things that we throw money at today. Now, here's my point in that. Whether we primarily see money as necessary or possessions as necessary to survive, or whether we primarily see money and possessions as something that's necessary to have or gain the luxuries of life, money, possessions, or the things that money can get us, It has the power to find its way into the center of our hearts. This is what Jesus is dealing with. Because when there, when it does make its way to the center of our hearts, it does take control. But the point of this message and the point of Christ's words is that when our treasure is Christ, we will gain a new eyesight and we will get into what that means. First, I want to look at the reality of that which you treasure. Now, have you ever thought or have you ever said, if I could just do that, then I could die happy? Or have you ever just believed that if you could just get that thing or that person or accomplish that goal, then you know that everything would be okay? I remember uh, hearing personal story from someone who was sharing with a whole audience about a very dark period of his life. He was walking us through this time. And he was sharing with us that his goal ever since he was young was to play football at the University of Alabama. And when he got into, when he got into high school, he was a good player, but he was not the best football player. He worked harder than anyone else, but he was never the star. However, his efforts did earn him the ability to make the Alabama football team. He made the team as a walk-on. And as a walk-on, he knew that he would likely never start for the football team. He knew that there was also a good chance that he may not even be able to dress out as a player on game day. But he still made it his ultimate goal to play in a game wearing the uniform for the University of Alabama. And so every practice and every workout, he had that goal in mind. Now, it sounded admirable when he was beginning to tell it. But I remember him saying that it was something that made it worth dying for in his life. Now, I'm not going to leave you hanging there and not finish that story, and I will come back to it in just a moment. 
But I want us to remember the passage that says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This person's treasure was to play in this game. And it's made, it made its way into the center of his heart. This became his ultimate thing to live for. It was worth dying for in his heart and in his mind. Now here's the reality of what is at the center of our hearts. Whatever is there at the center is what will govern us. It almost as if it becomes a puppet master choosing to show us which way we will go and how we will think. And this is what leads us to believe or it's what whispers in our ear whatever it takes to get that one thing. Whatever it takes, it will be worth it. So here's the reality of this as we look at this first point. When Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, he is explaining when, the, when something on earth takes root at the center of our soul, it will keep us up at night. It will haunt us. It will cause us to do things that we never thought we were capable of doing. It will make us think through how we can get around natural laws how we can get around spiritual laws in order to have, in order to hold on to this very thing or this place in life or this person or this promotion or this security. This is the reality of an earthly treasure. This is the reality of what takes root at the center of our hearts. It becomes our pilot. And I want us to also see the blinding power of this reality as we look at number two, the blinding power of this reality of earthly treasures. The young man who had made playing in an Alabama football game, his treasure was willing to do whatever it took to make it happen. Now his story continues like this. By the time that he got to the end of his junior year, he had done all that he could, all that he could do. He was working out longer. He was doing extra drills every day. And the incoming freshmen that were coming onto the team were bigger, were faster, were more talented than he was, even though they would spend the minimum amount of time in the weight room and doing drills. Now, what did this lead him to do? This led him to try steroids. And I remember him telling this story, and he saw that the steroids began to work. And so he had reached the maximum of what his body was able to do through workouts and exercise, and these steroids took him beyond that, and he was able to see further growth and strength and speed. But what this led to was he needed to be able to continue this. And so he needed more steroids which means he needed more money to buy them. And so not only was he taking them, but he started selling them and selling other illegal drugs to support this plan of reaching his goal. Now, in this famous passage of Scripture, Jesus first tells us to store up treasures in heaven, and then he ends this passage by telling us not to worry. Very famous part of Scripture when he says, don't worry, but instead seek first the kingdom of God. But in the middle of all of this, in chapter 6, in the middle of these two thoughts, starting in verse 22 and 23, there is this odd reference to the eye that almost seems out of place. And even when I was reading it to you 
just now, it almost seemed chopped up. Like somebody had just added something in there. Where Jesus says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what does this have to do with money and possessions and worry? So here's what I hope we will see that Jesus is doing. He is connecting one, these two, but he is connecting everything here with how we see the world. If we see it correctly, then we're full of light. If we see it incorrectly, then we'll be full of darkness as darkness floods in through our vision. And here's what I mean. The Alabama football player who made it his treasure to play in a game, he got in and he started playing on the kickoff team. During his first game, he made a tackle on the player who was returning the kickoff. And then later that night, Following the game, he had reached his ultimate goal. And I remember him expressing the celebration of all of his friends and his family and all of the congratulations that was coming from them, their excitement. And then, as he was sitting on his bed, he realized how empty he felt. He became suicidal. He became depressed. He had never been more miserable realizing that the thing that had made its way into the center of his soul was a broken cistern. So here, so I tell you this story and I show you how this ended up with this person to let us see the blinding power of this reality. And I want to focus on verse 23 here in chapter 6 as I break this down. Chapter 6, verse 23. Because if you see the world through an eye, that is fixed on earthly treasures, then darkness will fill your body. So here, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, it all becomes worth it. The lies, the compromises, the pain that it will cause other people. Have you ever been in a situation where you have thought, how did that even come into my mind? How did that thought even enter have you ever been in a situation where you have just done something and you thought, how could I have ever done something so terrible? How could I have ever hurt someone so badly? Something specific that comes to mind is abortion. When earthly gain is your choice, when, when, so here, this is what pro-choice means. It means choose earthly gain. Choose earthly comfort. And when plans of comfort, when plans of self-exaltation become the center of our soul, then all of a sudden the destruction of life becomes tenable. It becomes a tenable thing. It becomes something that all of a sudden can make sense. And this doesn't necessarily mean that those who have abortions despise life. But it means that the devil despises life and uses those that have their eyes on earthly treasures to fill their hearts with darkness, that see the world in this way, that have a bad eye. And he does the same things to you and me. Evil becomes tenable. It becomes doable. We become willing participators in great evil for what we think can lead to great satisfaction. Remember, we can start thinking how we can get around these natural laws, these spiritual laws. We see it as something that can help us because our body 
our minds become filled with darkness when we view the world in this way, when our eye is bad. We let darkness in. I also want to look at the last sentence of verse 23, where Jesus says, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here is another way in which this reality is such a blinding power. Whatever our treasure is, whatever we long for, whatever is at the center of our heart, this has the power to convince us of its goodness, of its wholeness. And so here, it's rare where we pursue something and keep pursuing it and it feels wrong. Usually we keep pursuing it because it feels right. Feels necessary, maybe even good. And while we're doing that, it's just stealing our joy, it's stealing our light. And this is what Jesus means when he warns of the light in you actually being darkness. How great the darkness then is when we, when we think or when we see ourselves doing something that feels necessary, but it's actually darkness. This is because our eye is so bad. And it is showing us something that is good, that we think is good. Now this is another way of saying that when this takes place, we see nothing as it really is. Now consider what's happening all around us in the world. And consider how many times we say, how could someone think in that way? How could someone believe that this is the right way? How can someone see something so evil as something so good or something so good, see something so good as something so evil? This is happening all around us and this this is a result of treasuring earthly things. So this is the reality of that which is your treasure. And this is the blinding power of that reality. And I also want us to see as we end here, but also as we bring this sermon to its true meaning, this passage to what Jesus is getting at, to look at the freeing clarity that comes with treasuring a generous Savior. So my hope is to tie all of this together, to see that Jesus says treasure heavenly things. The treasure of earthly things is proof of bad eyesight. That we see the world wrongly. And that allows darkness into the mind and the body. And then in verse 25, he tells us not to worry. Not to worry about what we eat, what, how we're clothed, what we'll wear. Not, what about, not to worry about what is coming tomorrow. Now at the very worst, when we consider worry, at the very worst, we usually think of worry as something that will lead to sin. We often don't even think of it that badly. But at the very worst, we think of it as something that will lead to to sin and not sin in and of itself, but something, but what the Bible actually does is makes it very clear that worry is a sin and it is a, an affront to God, not because of what it leads to, but what it reveals. It reveals the reality of our earthly treasures. This is what worry does. It reveals the reality of our earthly treasures and Jesus wants us to be free from that. He wants us to see the freedom of from that, and He wants us to get, gain clarity. He wants to give you and me new eyesight. 
So what does it mean to shift our eyesight from treasuring all of those other things to treasuring Christ? Now this is how Jesus answers it. This is in Luke chapter 9. This is how Jesus answers it. And he gives hard answers. He gives difficult answers because he demands followers who are going to follow him with their hearts. So this is what Jesus does in Luke chapter 9 because someone told Jesus there, they said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, okay, but I don't have a home. He said, okay, but I don't even have a place to lay my head, so I don't know where I'm going to sleep today or tomorrow. Another said in Luke chapter 9 that he will follow him. But he also asked, he said, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And then look at verse 62 of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so we ask the challenging question. We ask to say, why is Jesus being so hard on people that are saying they want to follow him? Why give them such a challenging answer to that? And so we can do our best here to allegorize these things with other hard statements or we can see that Jesus is saying that he is greater than the world. So please, this is what the Gospels tell us. Over and over again, Jesus is making it clear. He's saying, I am greater than the world. I'm greater than the world. Don't look back because I'm greater than the world. Where we are going is greater than what's behind you. And He frees us. He frees us from that when we truly follow Him. He says, if you treasure me, you will be filled with light. You will not have to worry about all that is causing you to worry. He is saying, I will care for you and I am generous and I have given my life for you. All you once held dear, you can now count it all as loss. So I want to end with a couple of points of takeaway here. The first one is this. When Christ is your treasure, when He truly marks the very core of who you are, money and possessions will lose their power. Okay. When Christ is your treasure, and when He marks the very core of who you are, so when you understand yourself as a person of of Christ, a follower of Him, that He makes up who you are, money and possessions will lose their power. The way that you envy those with more than you have will then begin to stop. The things that you are willing to do to gain this world will begin to diminish and lose their temptation because Jesus is greater than the world. So the things that we have our eyes on now will then fade away as He gives us new eyesight, begins to show us that He is greater than the world. We will lose our grip on things. We will stop envying others, coveting the things that others have. We can celebrate when others have successes. And then we can place ourselves in the suffering, the sufferings of others. Another thing that 
believe that this leads us to is that when Christ is your treasure, when He marks the very core of who you are, generosity will follow in an apostolic way. And I know we're just barely touching on this, but this is one of the marks of the early, early church, and so I want to bring this up and spend what I hope the Spirit does in a powerful way. Spend a moment here. Do you remember the rich young ruler that came across the person of Jesus that wanted to know how he could enter into eternal life? What Luke tells us is that he went away sad after he met with Jesus. He went away sad because Jesus said to enter eternal life you must sell all your possessions, distribute it to the poor, because then you'll have treasure in heaven and, he, and then he says, now come and follow me. He went away sad. In other words, he didn't follow Jesus. Now look at Acts 2. Turn to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. And look how verse 45 marks the church, marks the fellowship of the believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 45. The rich young ruler went away sad. The early church, the Bible tells us, and by the way, Luke is writing this, so this, there is a reason why this is so connected with that story of the rich young ruler. The same author in verse 45 speaks of the church in this way. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The thing that the rich young ruler couldn't do, the apostles were doing. Now what happened? He gave them new eyesight. They saw the world differently. They saw possessions differently. Nothing but Christ was worth holding on to. That was the only thing that they wanted to hold on to and therefore they were generous beyond our comfort level. When we really have to get Deep into what the apostles were doing, we have to see that they were, far, they were generous far beyond what we are comfortable recognizing. So I'll just ask a quick, very hard question. What keeps you from being generous with your money, your time, your home, your ideas, your hopes and your dreams? What keeps you from being generous with all of those Things. And so I'll, I'll tell you what keeps me from being generous. Earthly treasures. My eyesight is bad. I need new eyesight to see that Jesus is greater than the world. He's greater than the world. I don't have to look back. I don't have to look back. Or I don't have to feel like, I don't have to feel like if I'm generous in this area, then I'm going to look back and regret it or question it. Jesus is greater than the world. Jesus wants to free me from bad eyesight. And He wants to free you from that in order for us to see that He is the only thing worth holding on to. He's the only thing worth gripping. Why is this? It's because He let go of that which was valuable. He let go of that which was of great worth and He came here and He gave His life and He gave His righteousness. He did not spare Himself. 
will he not also give us all things? So, we're about to take communion. Feast on Christ, all of his benefits, recognizing that as we taste of his goodness and his love, that we are tasting, feasting on the one that is greater than the world itself. Let's pray. Father, grant us your provision. Lord, I pray that as we reach for the elements of the table, that we would be filled with your Spirit, knowing that we are feasting on the person that has given his very life and righteousness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.